You know, we all get excited whenever we have presents, uh, whether it's birthday gifts or whether it's Christmas presents, whatever it might be, we're, we're always excited to get a gift from someone else. Uh, enjoying the fact that someone may spend a little money or maybe just some time to make us something or put something together for us. I think every one of us can say when we have a gift set before us, we are excited to open it up. Now, I'm not going to say we're always happy with what we find inside of that gift. Uh, I'm sure some of us may experience disappointment or discouragement possibly. Uh, maybe even some pranks with some of the gifts that you may have received in the past. But I would venture to guess that almost all of us are excited when we see a gift that's set before us uh, for us to anticipate what that gift is, uh, and we're excited to open it. I remember as a child, uh, we usually had Christmas at an earlier time than Christmas Day because we would travel on Christmas Day uh, to my uh, grandparents' homes. And so uh, because of that, we would always have an early Christmas So, so uh Santa Claus would come early to our house. And so what we would see is through the, the weeks leading up to it, a lot of times we would have presents start appearing under the Christmas tree in anticipation of Christmas. I don't know if some of y'all have experienced that as well, but as those Christmas presents came under the tree, we all, all of us children were, were excited and filled with anticipation trying to figure out exactly what those Christmas presents were. In fact, every morning... Uh, the first one up would seem to run to see if there was a new Christmas present under the tree for us kids. And, of course, they, they appeared. It's like we all have one or two new ones every morning leading up to Christmas uh, there under the Christmas tree. And so I can always distinctly remember the, the calls and, the, and hearing one, one of my sisters or my brother saying, hey, there's more presents under the tree. And we would all scurry and run in there together, look at those presents, start shaking, trying to figure out. We'd lift them up, see how heavy they were, shake them around a little bit maybe, and if, as long as mom and dad didn't say they weren't breakable, and, and try to find out what was inside those gifts. We were so excited when we heard that there was a gift waiting for us under the Christmas tree. A lot of times that anticipation was, was more exciting than even Christmas Day as we got older especially. It's kind of more fun figuring out and anticipating what those gifts were uh, before that day. But inevitably, of course, each day there would be something that was different there under it. God has given us a gift. And that gift of salvation is a gift that all of us can look at and really see that it's so much greater than any other gift we may have ever received. And so as I have thought about trying to how to organize and think about this series, dealing with uh, the plan of salvation and looking at God's gift of salvation in our lives, uh, of course that first step that a lot of us talk about is the idea of hearing the Word of God. And I've tried to think about the concept of hearing the Word of God and how important it really is. And, and as I've studied and as I've thought and, and meditated on my lesson that I have prepared for tonight, I can't help but think that, that hearing the Word of God actually is one of the most important parts, and I think something that is sometimes um, under, maybe underutilized in the plan of salvation. Uh, we always are, are quick to talk about the, the five steps of salvation, uh, and uh, so really there's six. We'll be talking about the six, by the way, living faithfully is going to be part of salvation, uh, but remember, we, we, we've even taught our children, right, that, that song, Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized in the water, rise up again and walk with Christ and live like you ought to. I told Monica I almost got all of y'all to sing that, but she, she thought that was a little over the top. But you think about those that little steps of salvation and those things which we normally talk about, 
If you were to do a survey through the, the Lord's church, you're probably going to hear a lot of lessons on baptism. And there's really nothing wrong with that necessarily because that, that does become a bone of contention between us and some of our uh, religious friends around us. But the idea of where we all begin and where we start really is, is a very important foundational principle that I think that sometimes we skip past very quickly. So I've kind of been excited to think about the idea of hearing the Word of God and, and talking about how important that is with regards to God's gift of salvation in our lives is that the concept of hearing God's Word and what that means to us and what it fulfills and brings about in our lives. And so I've come up with four different points. I mean, four simple slides tonight, not in-depth at all, but thinking about the impact that our lives are uh, imp how we are impacted by hearing the Word of God. And again, you've got to kind of think about it from this approach. When we're talking about God's gift of salvation, sometimes we're talking about people who have never heard the Word of God before, right? I mean, we're talking about people who are, are and I hate to say ignorant, but that's really what it is. They are ignorant. They're, they're non-knowing. Uh, they, they don't know anything about the Word of God. And so you're talking about really starting even before hearing the Word of God and talking with them about why the Bible is the Word of God, why, why we know and why we believe that there is a God even in this world. And some of those um, pretextual foundational concepts we're skipping over to go to this, this point here. But we've got to understand it as Christians especially that there are sometimes we've got to know and talk about those things. So I'm going to tell you, for purposes of tonight's lesson, we've got to presume those things have already been discussed. We've got to presume that a person already believes that there is a God. Uh, and that's going to be, maybe they believe it because of some of the scriptures. Uh, maybe they believe it just because it makes no other rational sense in this world, right? When you look around us, that there's got to be a designer, there's got to be a creator. Everything just didn't come from nothing, and there's also going to be a presupposition in, in the course of this conversation that the Bible is, in fact, the, the inspired Word of God. And so, again, those kind of things sometimes you have to discuss with individuals before you even get into the idea of hearing the Word of God because you're not going to want to hear something if it is not powerful, if it is not with anything with authoritative nature, right? So when you think about that concept in the overall scheme of redemption and plan of salvation, we've got to understand there may be some people around us that we've got to study those um, Christian evidence kind of issues with them. But I want to go past that. Because what I want us to think about is how important it is for us to really hear the Word of God as part of God's gift of salvation to us. So tonight I want to think about the, the question here. Why is hearing the Word of God important? Why is it important? There's a lot of different things you could probably spout off and say why you think it's important. It is God's Word, right? So therefore, because it's God's Word, we know it has authority behind it. We've already talked about that. That is very important. That is very true. A very foundational concept there. But the Word of God, for us to hear it, becomes a point of us having something that we can then understand and apply in our lives. It is very foundational. You know, you can get into the concept of confession or repentance or um, even baptism, and it becomes uh, a more exacting type of a study. But when you deal with hearing the Word of God, 
it's not necessarily exacting because it is really broad when you think about how important hearing the Word of God it is. So why is hearing the Word of God important to us? Well, first, it is important to us, number one, I would say, because it confirms the source of the gift. We've already talked about this. The, the Word of God is from God. It's kind of in that phrase, right? Word of God. It's from God. It's God's Word. But what's so important about hearing the Word of God is the fact that it's going to confirm to us who it is that is giving us this gift of salvation. You know, a lot of times when you get a gift, right, you've got a little tag on it. You ever have that right? I know Christmas, you've got a little tag to and from, you know, to Rachel from Santa. Uh, you get a birthday present. A lot of times you're going to have a tag on it, right, to tell you who that present is from. Uh, maybe even a card that has an envelope, and on the envelope it's written the to and from on there. When you go to a shower, ladies, you know, you're usually going to have on there an indication of who has brought the gift to the shower, right? You know who the sender or the giver of the gift is. Well, when you think about the concept of the gift of salvation, it is a gift for us. It is the gift of God, as Ephesians 2 verse 8 says. Uh, the sender is only understood if you hear the Word of God. That's the only way you're going to know where salvation's from. It's the only way you're going to understand where it came from or what it's uh, about. His Word, the Bible, paints us a beautiful portrait of the supreme gift giver. It's only through hearing God's Word that we know who God is and what He has done, what He's doing, and what He will continue to do for us in the future. We need to hear God's Word so we can know the true source of the gift of salvation and really every other gift that's given to us, right? James 1 talks about every gift is good and given by God. And it's only by hearing God's Word do we understand who this giver is in our lives. It's only from hearing the Word of God that we learn that the one true God is the sovereign, self-existent creator of the universe, like Isaiah 42 verse 5 and Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that he is spirit John 4 24 that he is eternal Psalm 90 verse 2 and that he is personal Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 10 the one true God possesses all knowledge Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 and all power Matthew chapter 19 verse 26 and is present in all places Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, and he is unchanging. James chapter 1, verse 17. I don't have time to read all those characteristics to you. But it is only from God's word that his portrait is truly seen. That we understand who God is and what God does. Because we also learn in, in, in the Bible from hearing the word of God that our gift giver is just. Acts chapter 17, verse 31, that He is loving, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, that God is truthful, Numbers 23, verse 19, that He is holy, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, that He shows compassion, 2 Corinthians chapter, 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. He shows mercy, Romans chapter 9, verse 15, and He shows grace, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. God is the one who judges all sin, Psalm 5, verse 5. But he's also the one who offers forgiveness for the sin. Psalm 130, and verse 4. Hearing the word of God confirms to us who the giver is. 
Who is giving us salvation? Who is the one bestowing this wonderful blessing upon our heads? It is God, the one true living God. And the, God, the Word of God is clear that God is always faithful to us. He is faithful to His people. He keeps His promises, even when His people may turn their backs on Him. Remember the story of the nation of Israel that time and time again, they would turn their backs on God, they would disobey God, but yet God was still faithful to them and He was always fulfilling His promises that He made to them, to their forefathers, to their fathers. And He would continue to do so throughout all of history. He was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the people of Israel, and He'll remain faithful even to us today because the church is now His chosen people. What we see as the Bible is heard, as we read it or as we hear it preached, we hear that God loves us. Even when we're drenched with the darkest of sins, He stands by ready to embrace us in His love. Read the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, talking about the Father that emulates who God is to us because God stands ready, willing, and able to embrace us when we come back from our pig pens of sin. That's who God is. And we would not know anything about who God is, the one who gives us this source of the gift, if it were not for hearing His Word. When we hear the Word of God, we can know assuredly that there is one true God. There are no others. There's no other God that can do what is described about our God in God's Word. All of these societies and cultures that have a plethora of gods are sorely mistaken in thinking that their multitude of gods are anywhere close in comparison to the one true living God. They cannot prove it. They cannot show it. And nothing compares to who God is to us. He's revealed His power to us. He wants to be known by us. And as we listen and as we hear from the Word of God, we understand God wants us to be near Him, spiritually speaking. He wants to be reunited with us, reconciled, redeemed, whatever word you want to pull out and use. God wants us in a relationship with Him. And we know that by hearing the Word of God and understanding what God has spoken to us. All that matters is what God has said. And I want to emphasize this real quickly before I move on to the next point. But it's hearing the Word of God, by the way, here, not hearing the opinions of man. God's Word is what matters. That is the standard bearer. It is, it is what's written within the, the, the Bible that we know it from the books of Genesis to the book of Revelation that matters. Not what man has said. It's not hearing man's chronicles. It's not hearing some type of other testament another testament it's hearing the word of god that brings about this gift of salvation and knowing who god is confirming the very source of the gift of salvation his word is what matters and not man's but as we hear the word of god we are confirmed with regard to who it is that's the source of the very gift that we have in our lives secondly hearing the word of god convicts us of our need for the gift. Now, sometimes we don't always think we need something. Sometimes there are, are times in lives where we, we think it's more of a want versus a need. And in fact, salvation is not one of those things. Salvation is not just a gift that we want. It should be a gift that we need in life. And hearing the Word of God convicts us of our sins and makes us see 
just how much we need salvation in life. When you think about uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Therefore all have sinned and come fallen short or, or come short of the glory of God. And Paul there is trying to teach and talk to the Romans about their condition, spiritually speaking, is the fact that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. And in fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he goes on to say, and that's the, the verse up here, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the gift that we get. That's what we receive because of God. Now, God's word, as we hear it, convicts us, though, of the need for a gift of salvation. Without God's word, it's very likely that we may know that we have done wrong, but we may not truly understand that that wrong is sin. Does that make sense? As adults, as we get to what we would randomly call, I guess, the age of accountability, and so a lot of us can kind of debate as to when, what age is that age, right? When do people really know right from wrong? When do they understand that there's a good and the bad, that there's a righteous and an unrighteous? Uh, some people would probably argue and say, well, I didn't know it was a sin. Well, did you know it was right or wrong would be the question. And, and ultimately, they're probably going to understand the, the concept of sin. But when we hear the Word of God, we start coming to an understanding and know that the truth of God convicts us of the wrongs in our life because they're sin. They're sin. And that sin causes us to be separated from God. The Word of God is sharp. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, being able to, to, to met out and, and separate those things for us. And so the Word of God, by hearing it, can allow us to be convicted of those things which are wrong in our life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 17 says, All unrighteousness is sin. James 1, verse 15. Uh, Thus, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The, the logical cons uh, consequences of sin become spiritual death. And by hearing the Word of God, we start becoming convicted in our hearts and our minds of the fact that we are doing wrong or we have wrong in our lives and that wrong needs to be remedied in some way, form, or fashion. We'll get to the how in a second. But the Word of God, by hearing the Word of God, through maybe the foolishness of preaching as the Bible talks about, or maybe it's personal Bible study and reading, or maybe it's a Bible class conversation, the Word of God, as we hear it's going to be able to come into our lives and our hearts and our minds and be able to convict us of the sin that we have and make us realize we need the gift of salvation. But there is no other option if we want to be reunited. There's no other option if we want to have eternal life with Christ Jesus. There's no other choice that we would have because we've got to get that sin out of our life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You look at this passage, and this word here, the Greek word used for sin here is hamartia. Uh, you can look and do a word study on this if you would like to. Uh, and I guess back there, so he will probably, he'll, he'll be able to, to swallow me whole with regard to a word study. But if you do a quick word study on hamartia, what you're going to understand is the idea of the Greek word here. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon says this. It, it, it means a failing to hit the mark, that which is done wrong, 
committed or resultant sin and offense, a violation of the divine law in thought or in act. This Greek word that we use as sin now is something that literally means missing the mark. You're pointing, you're aiming, and you're missing. And when you miss the mark, it's not just a mark as in, oh, you're having a target shooting contest. It's not that situation. This is missing the mark with regard to a relationship with God. Because sin separates us from God. And so when we hear the Word of God, we become convicted in our hearts and our minds to the fact that our sin festering inside of us creates a divide between us and God. And that should scare any of us. That should be something that is concerning to anyone. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 is a verse we commonly look to, but it talks there that, that our sin separates us from God. That separation cannot be cured as long as that sin is in our life. So as you hear the Word of God preached, as you, you realize that you have sin, you realize at that point in time also by hearing the Word of God, you're going to be convicted because you realize God knows your sin. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 24, the whole chapter. God tells us repeatedly over and over that God knows our lives. You know, it's kind of like Jonah. When Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, Jonah thought he could hide from God. And he went and hid. Could he hide from God? He could not hide. God knew exactly where Jonah was. He knew exactly what choice Jonah made. And he knew exactly the way to punish Jonah and to try and discipline him in the ways that he will be able to understand that he cannot defy God. Well, guess what? God knows all of our secrets. Nothing, according to the Psalms, chapter 139, is, is, is away from God's sight. And when we realize and come to grips with the fact that we have sin and that God knows our sin and that sin separates us from God, we understand at that point in time we've got to do something about it because we've heard the Word of God telling us and imploring us that we must change our lives and become reconciled and somehow get back to a relationship with God. Think about some of the responses that we've seen in the Scriptures with regard to hearing the Word of God. One of the first ones I thought of was David. David committed the, we call it the great sin with Bathsheba. If you look in your, it's it's a sin. Either way you look at it, David committed sin with Bathsheba. And and you go and, and you start seeing what happens, and he tries to hide things. And Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and he tells him this, kind of a parable, an allegory lesson to try and compare what he has done to try and make David think about what he had done. And and David was furious in that parable with the the man with taking the the neighbor's sheep. Furious. Saying he should die. And Nathan ultimately says what? He, he, He really literally, I don't think the scripture says he points a finger at him. But it says, and he says to David, you are the man. David's response to me of hearing 
the word of God. Again, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet and was told to convey this to, to David. So that, that is literally David hearing the word of God. His response to hearing the word of God and realizing his sin and the separation that his sin had caused between him and God was this in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't even think about Bathsheba, who he also sinned against, by the way. He didn't think about Uriah, who he also sinned against. He didn't even think about probably the other individuals that were involved in this cover-up that I think you could probably argue he sinned against them as well. David was convicted of his sin against God. Another good example, real quickly, is on Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Probably another one that you all think about when you think about hearing the Word of God. How do people respond when they're confronted? Are they convicted with the need for the gift of salvation? Are they, are they convicted of the fact that they need this salvation? And in Acts chapter 2, of course, you, you know that first sermon on Pentecost recorded uh, that Peter preached, that the people were ultimately convicted of their sin. And these were some that were quite literally responsible for the death of Jesus on the cross. They were there. They were part of the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They were part of the crowd that stood around mocking him and jeering him. And they were convicted of their need of salvation and called out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? Hearing the Word of God pierces through the darkest sin, the most awkward and uncomfortable situations, and should challenge us to rise above the sin to the point where we are convicted and know we must take action. That's how powerful the Word of God is. And Romans chapter 1 talks about that the, 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 the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? The dynamite, if you look at that word, that's the same type of a, a root word there that the word dynamite, it is the power. It is powerful. It blows things up. But what it blows up is not the good stuff. It blows up all the bad stuff. Making us understand that our lives are in jeopardy because of the sin that we have and hearing the Word of God pierces through the hardest of hearts and the darkest of days to bring about conviction in our lives. That's what hearing the Word of God can do. Thirdly, the, the Word of God communicates the essence of the gift. Now, what do you mean by this? Well, I'm trying to keep my alliteration here going, so I had to kind of force some words. So communication is what I got. But quite literally, when you hear the Word of God, you, you start understanding what this gift of salvation really is all about. It goes beyond the fact that I have lived in sin. It goes beyond the fact that I need my sin forgiven. And it comes around to the much deeper intricacies of the gospel message is the fact that God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish, die, but have everlasting life. The essence of the gift of God is revealed for us when we understand and we hear His Word proclaimed. 
The glorious gift that we're offered is because God wants all of us to be saved. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, like God is patient toward us. Why? Because He doesn't want any of us to, to perish. He wants us all to come around to salvation. He wants all of us to accept this gift of salvation in life. That's what He wants. And so the Scriptures reveal and show us that even though all is not going to accept this gift, right? But wide is the gate, broad is the way to, to, to destruction, right? I mean, all are not going to accept this gift of salvation. All are not going to be part of this. God still fights. God still yearns. God still hopes that we will grab that gift and never let go. God sees that there are even some who may have grabbed that gift, who have taken hold of that gift of salvation, but yet they have let go and thrown it away. Have you ever done that with a, an old gift? Something that you thought at the point when you got it, it was so shiny, it's so pretty, it was, you know, it was nice, it was something new. You played with it for a little while and then it kind of sat on the shelf. We cleaned up the playroom this weekend. Let me tell you, um, first of all, I think my children are spoiled. Um, I think that would probably be a lot of children nowadays. Uh, parents, if you're in here or you listen to this podcast or whatever, this, this don't buy a bunch of stuff for your kids. Grandparents, quit buying stuff for your grandkids. Okay, but what, what I saw as we, we cleaned out the playroom is we had all these toys in there that at one point were shiny and new. And I remember seeing my girls playing with it all the time. I mean, they play with it day in, day out for days on end, weeks on end. And now we see it stuffed in the back of a shelf. God sees us do that with the gift of salvation, I think, sometimes. We enjoy it. We are excited. We are happy. We kind of revel in the idea that we have been blessed with salvation from God. And then as our years have gone on, we have kind of let that grip around that gift of salvation loosen or even let go at points. And God sees that happening. But what God says, what this gift is made of, the very essence of this gift, what is inside this gift, where you are to open up this gift and look inside, what you're going to see, what will be unveiled to you, is that this gift is full of Jesus' sacrifice. That it is full of love and things that God has stuffed into this box to bless our lives with, and it never goes away. It doesn't change. It doesn't dissipate. It doesn't get any lighter. It's always there. His Word, the Bible, brings about uh, the good news, that saving gospel message that Scripture details from Genesis to Revelation, talking about the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus and His victory over sin. And we see that throughout God's Word, the gospel necessarily includes all of the inspired Word of God, really. Because it's all about the plan of salvation. We see that it is revealed to us this good news, the idea that God planned, that God gave, that God sacrificed, that God loves, and that God gave that ultimate sacrifice for us. The gospel message includes the fact that we have a God who loved us so much that He sent His only Son I love, if you look at John 3, 16, and we're to dissect that verse, that a lot of us see, for God so loved the world, they gave His only begotten Son. And that only begotten is a very interesting phrase if you were to really look at it, because, I mean, obviously, He wasn't begotten in the sense that we are begotten today. He wasn't born, necessarily, of God. He was born of 
man and God. It was very interesting. But the, the, that phrasing really goes into more of his uniqueness. That he was a unique son of God. He gave Jesus to come to this earth in the flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14. We see that the very essence of the gift of salvation hinges upon it being a perfect sacrifice for us and our sins. And that perfect sacrifice had to be a human sacrifice because that's what was required. Blood for blood. And because we were lost, Hebrews writer talks to us about the fact that the the blood of of goats and, and heifers was no longer any good. It would not suffice. It took the blood of a perfect Lamb of God to live a perfect life, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, for us. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 5 says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. A direct comparison and maybe even a contrast between humans as we are and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the fact we were both human. But in Jesus Christ, there was no sin. In us, there is. But He made Him so that He would appear to take away the sins of the world. That is part of the essence of the gift of salvation. Is that in that package that God offers to us, He offers us His only Son for our sins. The gospel involves Jesus' death on the cross as the sin offering to fulfill the law's righteous requirement, doing away with the requirement of animal sacrifices year after year. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So when Christ offered Himself at Calvary, when He came to this earth for us, His sacrifice, that work of atonement, was finished and was complete for all of us there. And God packaged it up for us. That was the sacrifice that gave us this gift of salvation. Instead of requiring our spiritual death, God provided a substitute, a propitiation, if you want to use that word as the Scriptures do, so that we would not be lost forever. John chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and and was raised to life for our justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. And the fact that Jesus conquered sin and death is wonderful news, not just good news. The fact that He offers to share that victory over death with us is the greatest news of all. We know that the gospel message, of course, is delivered and received. It is summarized by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as being the, the... Life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we look at that as being kind of the gospel message of being the good news of Jesus, but it encapsulates everything involved in that. In fact, how are we to obey the gospel? That doesn't tell us anything about obeying the gospel message, does it? That's just the good news. The good news is the fact that that Jesus came and died for us. The, The gospel message that we are able to obey is going to be ultimately the fact that We emulate that death, burial, and resurrection as Romans chapter 6 talks about when we become a baptized believer in Christ. We are buried in our sins. We rise to be a new man walking in newness of life. That's the good news. That's the gospel message that God packages together for us and offers for us in this wonderful gift 
of salvation. Hearing the word of God lets us know exactly what we're getting from God. The complete essence of the gift offered by God is the love, the hope, and the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Real quickly, fourth point. I've got five minutes. When we hear the word of God, hearing the word of God conveys to us how we accept God's gift. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent necessarily because I want to talk about it later on in some of our passages and scriptures and, and lessons in this series. But God's gift is free to us. We don't earn it. We don't pay anything for it. It's free. But there is a sense we've got to accept it. It's not forced upon us. God's gift of salvation isn't uh, commanded with regard to the fact that we have no choice. We're not robots. We have a choice whether we're going to accept that gift of salvation or not. And thanks be to God for His indescribable gift, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. We have a choice. We know that from the Scriptures, when you hear the Word of God, what you hear is that there's going to be retribution that's dealt out to those who, number one, don't know God, and number two, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. God's Word has plainly set four things for us, for us to understand what is needed in order for us to accept His gift. What He says that we must do, we must obey His gospel message. We must understand that God's gospel message to us is the gateway. It is the pathway to accepting that wonderful, blessed, free gift of grace and forgiveness that He's offered to us. And so when we follow and when we obey the gospel message, when we hear the Word of God, we understand and it conveys to us these things which we must do. And those are the things we're going to continue to talk about in the next following lessons. That there are certain things that when you hear the Word of God, we're convicted of our sins, we are understanding, and it communicates to us the essence of that gift because we're also going to be conveyed how we get the gift. Because it's not forced upon us. It's our choice. God conveys these things to us so we are without excuse. And after hearing the Word of God, we are going to be making the choice we have to decide whether to make the move necessary to reach out and grab that blessed gift of salvation from the hands of Jesus. Thankfully, God has a plan set forth for us to set us free from the slavery to sin that we read about in Romans chapter 6. The idea when we are susceptible to sin, when we continue in sin, we become slaves to sin. But there's a way of escape from that sin. And that's to grab a hold of the gift of salvation. We see multiple examples in the Bible, which we'll use in some of our references and some of our lessons in the future, of those who responded after hearing the Word of God. One I want to point out tonight is in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, is coming back from worshiping the Lord in Jerusalem. And he came back, and Philip, of course, was told by God and the Holy Spirit to, to go and teach the eunuch on the road. And so Philip met the eunuch on the roadway. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but you can look in Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. There, the response that the eunuch had to hearing the gospel message. Because you know what Philip did? He opened up his Bible. And it says, from the book in Isaiah, which he was reading about Isaiah chapter 53, he was, he was confused of who this passage was speaking about. And it says that from that point, Philip preached unto him, Jesus. And what was the eunuch's response? 
Well, he wanted to change his life. No doubt about that. In fact, he was so eager to change his life that he commanded the chariot to stop. He saw water, and he saw water in the, in the outside, and he said, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip told him, if you believe, if you confess, then you can. That very moment, they went in the water together, and the eunuch was baptized for the remission of his sins. When we hear the word of God, it conveys to us through direct commandments or maybe from these stories and examples or necessary inferences from the Scriptures, what we must do to accept God's wonderful, blessed gift of salvation. Next week, next week, let's go from hearing to believing. I'll tell you the key verse for next week. Anybody know it? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you all so much for your kind attention tonight. Look forward to next week.